Uh, any sports fans? Raise your hand. All right. Favorite? What's your sport? Cowboys. Go Cowboys. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Baseball. Uh, so football's big right now. Baseball. What? What else? What do you guys like to watch? Gymnastics. Okay. I said sports, but I kid. I kid. I kid. I kid. Those kid. Those guys are impressive. Uh, well, guys, universal. Yes. Uh, so uh, in, case, in case you're not quite a sports fan or if you don't have a team, uh, I came up with six ways, easy ways you can uh, help pick your team, okay? These are universal, okay? Uh, so one, uh, you, you pick a team um, if you're from a certain area, you know? So if you are from Pittsburgh, then you are a football fan, you're going to go for Steelers. If not, you might die, okay? Right, Jim? So the <laughs> best brother was, lived in Pittsburgh for what, 10 years or something, and I think he was, if you asked him, yes, he's a Pittsburgh fan, because he was afraid for his life, so. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, all right, so that's, that's number one. And number two is you, in, you, can, you can inherit a sports team. Did you know that? Uh, so my dad uh, was a Cowboys fan uh, for a long time, and so now I uh, am a fan of America's team, so Cowboys. Uh, a third, <laughs> a third, the third way uh, that you can pick a team is you can like a key player or a, a coach, you know, and you say, you know, I like that person and I'm going to go with them. So uh, a lot of people uh, like Cleveland Cavaliers and now they are big fans of the LA Lakers because of a guy named LeBron James. And so you see that happen. Uh, number four, okay, this one's a little bit controversial, but it's still, uh, still prevalent. Uh, you ditch whoever you liked last year. And pick whoever has a good season this year. Yeah? All right. A few of you? Yeah. All right. And uh, if you're my wife, if you're my wife, you take their outfits. Yeah. Outfits into consideration. Those, <laughs> those are called uniforms. But anyways... Number six, this one strictly applies to football, okay? But uh, you, uh, you, you root for whoever plays against the Patriots. So, not a popular one? Oh, I'm sorry. So, so, I'm looking like these Patriots fans are like beaming. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a weird thought, isn't it? The, the, the act of picking a team. You know what I'm saying? Like most of us don't consciously pick a team. It just kind of happens. But uh, like who am I going to identify with, you know? And like people, they identify to their core with, who, you know, they're, who they're going to root for. And I think there's something about our culture that longs for like this connectedness, you know, to something much bigger than ourselves, and so we identify with teams, and we go all in. I mean, I, look, I'm a Cowboys fan, but I got one of my one of my best friends has a Cowboys tattoo. We joke them. We joke them, you know. As a Cowboys fan, we still joke them. But like, we see this idea, this, this longing for us to connect to something bigger, and, and you know, it, it also helps that we love competition. You know, we love uh, to to root for someone, to root against someone, and so we pick. Someone, we connect ourselves with something much bigger, and we go all in. We, we watch, we root, we buy their merchandise, we get tattoos, you know. Uh, um, and uh, you, you are permitted. There's a lot of social cues that you can't cross the boundaries, but, but you are permitted to talk to anyone at any specific time, no matter what differences you have, as long as they're wearing a, uh, some paraphernalia of your favorite company, right, or your favorite team. You know, so I could be in Starbucks, and, and there's this guy uh, who, uh, who uh, is in a business meeting, but he's got, he got like a 
Cowboys mug or something, walk by, like, go Cowboys. And you're like, hey, you know, and then there's a conversation, you know, and it could be anything. It doesn't matter. So, but I do think deep down that we, we long uh, to, to belong to something bigger, something bigger than ourselves, something that connects us with other people, and more specifically, something that's successful. That's why we root for our team, something that's winning. So today, uh, today we're wrapping up our short little series called Battlefield. And the whole idea is this, that the scriptures tell us that whether we acknowledge it or, or not, whether we acknowledge it or whether we choose to ignore it, that there is a war going on just because it's not physical doesn't mean it's not real. And our kind of hinge verse, Ephesians 6.12, uh, says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so as we looked at this battlefield, uh, we've, we talked about how, uh, how uh, our everyday life is a battleground, and that the forces of evil, Satan and his, and his angels, demons, uh, that they are actively fighting against us, but God has uniquely equipped each and every one of us that call Jesus Lord with what we refer to as the armor of God. And so we, if, you, if you missed that week, uh, uh, you, you can check out the sermon in Ephesians. Uh, you can check that out on cfsflovers.info. You can uh, read through Ephesians 6, you know, and talk about this armor of God. Uh, last week, we talked about who we are fighting against. So specifically, we talked about uh, Satan and, uh, and demons. And, and we talked about how Satan would be completely cool if we didn't acknowledge his existence. And that one's a little bit of a brain bender, isn't it? That he's completely okay if we, if we don't take his existence seriously. But if we're going to fight and we're, if we're going to hold our grand, ground, and as, as Ephesians 6 says, if we're going to stand firm, then we need to know our enemy. So we looked at his tactics and how the battlefield plays out in our, our mind. It plays out in our will, and it plays out with our physical bodies as well. So... We're talking about picking teams, you know. It shouldn't be that hard to pick a team when it comes to the, this battle that we're in and this war. It shouldn't be hard to pick a side. You know, we're not picking uh, according to where we live or, or uh, what, our, what, our, what we were born into. Or we're, we're not picking according to who has the best, out, cute, cutest, sorry, cutest outfits. But no, this is a war, all-out war, good versus evil, right versus wrong. God and his will versus those who oppose his will. It's not a war that we're wondering how it's going to turn out. It's, it's something that, uh, that we already know how it's going to play out. Satan is still a created being, though powerful, he's still created. God is the creator. And just as God has given us free will, uh, God has also given the angelic realm uh, the same free will to choose, to choose God or to reject him. And so we know that Satan, his game is over. And right now we're living out uh, what uh, sports world you call garbage time, you know, where the, it's already decided who's going to win. Everybody knows who's going to win, but you, the clock's got to run out. And that's what we're playing out right now. We're in garbage time, and, uh, you know, but Satan's still trying to inflict as much damage on God's people by pulling them away from God as he's able in this time. And so today as we close out, we're going to uh, look a little bit at who we're fighting with who we're fighting with. 
So I want to give a little theology overview of like uh, of, of the angels. You know, we don't talk about angels a ton. Uh, you kind of get closer to Christmas season, and and they take a little bit more of a prominent role. Anybody have uh, angels that go on top of their tree, or you, are you star people? Either way, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just asking. You know, we see, and uh, anybody have a manger? And it has a little angel over top. Yep. Uh, so, so it's a very prominent theme that we see um, at, at this time as we approach Christmas season. So we talk about demons and Satan. We're going to talk about angels this year. And, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions in our culture when it comes to angels. Um, and so I'll, I'm going to address just a couple of them. And uh, just because I want our mind to kind of be thinking biblically towards these things. But our pop view, our pop cultural view of angels is these naked little babies. They're chubby and they're flying around. Sometimes they have bow and arrow. Yeah. And, 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 um, and that idea of the chubby uh, cherub, you know, flying with a bow and arrow. You know, that's really more from Roman mythology. That's like uh, from Cupid. You know, and, and it evolved in the Renaissance period, uh, kind of got associated with angels. Uh, you know, angels, there's no evidence we have of them hanging out on clouds, um, harps, you know what I'm saying, playing harps and that kind of thing. Um, you know, when bells ring, <laughs> angels, an angel does not, Beth, get their wings. So, angels not get their wings, you know. Um, Here's one that might be a little bit more personal, okay, like a little bit more serious, is when people die, do they become angels? And they don't, and, and, and the problem with this is in our culture, in our culture, uh, when people pass, uh, we sometimes don't have the words to console people, and so we'll say things like, God needed another angel, or another angel got his wings, and we're saying these things trying to console people. But there's no, uh, no evidence that people become angels uh, because uh, while, while some people cling to these statements in a, a form of hope, it's important, I think, that we lean on truth in our darkest times and not lean on the things that people uh, come up with to make us feel better. So the Bible doesn't teach that people become angels. The Bible teaches that God created people and that God created angels. And all of us have our own purpose. In fact, Scripture says he made people a little lower than the angels. But in heaven, uh, one day, we're, uh, believers, we're going to judge angels. And so angels are always going to be doing what angels were made to do. And, and people, you know what? On this side of heaven and on the next side, we are going to be doing what we were made to do. That's bring glory to God. A little trivia for you real quick as we um, kind of kick in to this lesson. is um, There's two names, two angels mentioned by name in the Bible. What are they? Boom. Man, you are on it. Michael and Gabriel. All right? And that's right. And we see, we see one of those show up in the Christmas story, you know, the messenger angel, uh, Gabriel. And, and so we see that a few times. It's kind of cool. So, so I want to give a brief overview of what angels do. We'll look at a few things. I'm going to be burning through the stuff kind of quick. So, but, but we can just kind of shape our thinking towards uh, the scriptures. The first one is this. Uh, the angels, they serve as God's messengers. You know the word angel, uh, it actually means messenger. As it comes from the Greek angelos and the, and the Hebrew equivalent of malak, is, is, uh, it simply means the word messenger. So this is a very basic function of, of who angels are as we know them. They are messengers 
of God. And, and in the Old Testament where uh, God's law was regularly communicated, that was often associated with uh, angels sharing God's law. And so uh, we see this in Hebrews 2, too. It says, for since the message spoken through angels was, through the message spoken through angels was binding. And so we see angels, uh, they, they were God's messengers. We see this in the Christmas story multiple times where, where God's doing this big thing in human history. And so what does he do? He sends a messenger. And every time that God sends a messenger on the scene and they show up uh, to people, you know, the, the, the reaction's the same. Complete terror. Complete freaking out. You know what I'm saying? And people, people in such awe and terror and, and uh, at the same time. And so the angels, they, they serve as God's messengers, as their, as their name uh, means. Uh, another function that they serve is to praise God. They serve uh, to, uh, to praise God. You know, like in what we know as the Christmas story, we see this. They proclaim the good news of Jesus' birth. The next thing you know, the sky is filled with heavenly hosts, and, and, and uh, they sang glory to God in the highest I don't know if that's how they say it, but well, they say glory to God in the highest heaven and on, and on earth peace to those on whom his favorite rests. They constantly had the praise of God on their lips. And you see this as you look in the book of Revelation, which gives us some glimpses into what heaven uh, uh, is like. And one of the constant themes is, is there's this angelic presence constantly worshiping and praising God. We see this over and over and over. All right, another thing that angels do is they carry out judgments from God. And we see this over and over in the scriptures. One example I have is Acts chapter 12. It says, immediately because Herod uh, did not give praise to God, the angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's nasty, you know? But like, you see this, that God's judgment was acted out oftentimes by an angel. Um, you see that in the ten plagues, you know, the tenth plague and the, the angel of death. And, and, uh, and just story after story, you see uh, angels carrying out judgments from God. You know, angels do battle. They fight against the accuser, Satan, and his demons. You know, uh, Jude 9, uh, but even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So we see this, like Michael was a powerful archangel, and this kind of hints that maybe Satan was a powerful archangel too, and, uh, and then he uh, fell. And, um, and so even the powerful angel uh, still spoke in the name of the Lord, may the Lord rebuke you. You can also see these battles play out in Revelation as well. Um, another thing they do, or, or will do, is they will accompany Jesus at his victorious second coming. And so the whole plot line of the scriptures, and, and we come into this Christmas season, that Jesus came the first time, and he, he uh, fulfilled his mission by uh, dying on a cross, by uh, being buried, by raising from the dead, then he ascended into heaven. And the storyline of, of our faith is that one day Jesus is going to come back, powerful and mighty, ready to judge the world, ready to usher in uh, the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. And so, Jesus isn't going to come by himself. He's going to have a, a posse. 
going to have hype men. You know, he's going to, he's going to, you know, they're going to be going crazy uh, that he's going to come. It's in, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, it says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. You also see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that the Lord's going to come down with a, with, a, with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. And so we see this, that God, that Jesus is not going to be alone. It's going to be quite a spectacle. It's going to be quite an amazing, terrifying, yet brilliant scene. And then the last thing that we see, or the last thing I'll share today, is that uh, the angels minister to believers. The angels minister to believers. You know, our, uh, Hebrews 1 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so we see that one of the functions that angels serve is to, is to help us, uh, with, us with skin and bones and flesh on this, in this journey to, uh, to help serve and to follow Jesus. You know, are, are there guardian angels? You know, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say that each of us has our own little guardian angel watching specifically over you, but we do see that God uh, has certainly sent angels in mo certain moments as rescuers and protectors in the Bible. So maybe not in the personal bodyguard type of, of, of thing, but in this general protection under God's guidance, certainly. But we see the angels, they're ultimately they're fighting for God's glory. You know, they're, they're fighting for, on behalf of God and for God's glory. And when people die, they don't become angels. And God made people, God made angels. We all have our own functions. We all have our own, own purpose. And our purpose is very similar on this side of heaven, same as it is on the next, and that's to bring glory to God. And so we go back to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know the struggle all too well, don't we? And we, we live on the battlefield. Like, we know the struggle. We know what it's like. And, uh, and, and one of the most important things that we need to know is that our, our, in spiritual warfare is that our struggle that's not against flesh and blood, it's not just our struggle. That we have this whole host uh, uh, around us. We have an enemy that's very real, yes. But we also aren't alone. We have allies. We have God's heavenly army, create, uh, these spiritual created beings, beings to powerfully engage the evil one. And, you know, let's say that kind of makes the battlefield kind of even, right? Well, uh, we know as believers that God gives us his Holy Spirit. That God's presence like, like completely makes the battle unfair, you know? Like the Holy Spirit, the divine person of God uh, uh, interacting with our lives. This Holy Spirit of God is endlessly living in those who, who confess Jesus as, as Lord, have been baptized in, into him and are following him. And, and, and this is God in our life. As we live out the battleground, you know, as we live out in the battlefield every day, uh, uh, God is in our life and he's destroying the power of of the accuser, and he serves as our advocate. Because life is hard, isn't it? Sin is real, temptation is strong, and transformation takes time. 
And when we try to do all of that, you know, when we try to do all those things, we fail. And it's why we need God's power inside of us, this gift that he gives us to let uh, our soul uh, live according to the purpose that he created us to bring glory and honor to him. And so we live that, we want to walk that, and we, want, we need God's help to do it. But we can always be reminded that in our darkest time, that we are never alone because God is always fighting in our behalf. Kind of a cool thought, huh? As we walk through this battlefield, uh, as we walk through this battlefield, that, that no matter what happens, that, man, you're not alone. That you're not alone. Uh, there's this cool story in the Old Testament. Actually, there's a whole lot of cool stories in the Old Testament. But in Second Kings chapter 6, um, Elisha, the prophet, is on the scene. And he, he is this prophet of Israel. So he's like, he, he's the, the guy who God is speaking to and God is revealing uh, things to. And, and, uh, and, and so he's this prophet in Israel that, who is God's chosen people. Now, Israel and their neighbors Aram uh, were at war with one another. So the king of Aram was constantly trying to plot on Israel and try to set up some traps. And, and, and what happened is uh, it, it, it was as if Israel knew all their moves that they were going to make. And so none of his traps, none of his plans could ever work because, because uh, Israel seemed to have known. And so the king of Aram, mad. He thought there was a mole in his camp, you know, someone who was telling Israel uh, all their secrets, all their next moves. But finally they learned, they had some intel, that uh, it was actually Elisha the prophet who is being revealed uh, from God. He was, he was telling the king of Israel, hey, this is what's going to happen. And so the king of Israel learned, you listen, when Elisha speaks, you listen, it's going to work out well for you. So the king, king of Aram is, is, is mad, and, and he wants Elisha dead. So he finds out where Elisha is, is and they, they find out that he's in the town of Dothan. And Scripture says that he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. Now check this. Elisha's servant wakes up the next day. <laughs> Can you imagine waking up in the small town and... You, you, you're, you're coming out, and you, you see you're surrounded by the bad guys, completely horses and chariots and soldiers. And, and as, uh, he says this. He says to Elisha, the prophet, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Can I paraphrase that for you real quick? Now is the time to panic. <laughs> We're dead. Like, like, what do we do? You know, you, you know he is panicking. You know his Elisha's servant was freaking out. And then scripture says in 2 Kings 6, 16, said, uh, do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Elisha. Man, that's cool, isn't it? Elisha prays that his, that his servant will be able to see the spiritual realm beyond what we can see physically, beyond what we can hear and smell and taste and touch. And, he, and his servant is able to see. And can you imagine being surrounded, the fear of being surrounded by an army who's trying to kill you? But then 
you see an even bigger, more powerful army surrounding the bad guys, man, what a relief that would have been. They're surrounded by uh, the army of God who was on their side. And so what was panic, you know, probably turned out to a whole lot of relief. And God ends up sparing Elijah Elisha, in a pretty remarkable way in the story. He, 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 he provides a way. And it, if they had just looked at the physical reality around them, you know, they were dead. If you just look at their physical circumstances, there was no possible way out. They should have been waving the white flag. And in fact, things were so bad. The king of Aram was so mad at Elijah. You know, they could have just fell on their spears or their swords right then because they knew the torture that they, that they were going to be, uh, the brutality that was going to face them uh, if they had to come under the king of Aram's uh, uh, possession. But Elisha could see. Elijah could see. And church, as we wrap up this series, uh, The Battlefield, this is my prayer for me and for you. The same prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we may see. Like, not physically, not physically, but open our eyes so that we can see there's always more to the story. That we can open our, open our eyes, God, so we can see who you are. That we can see you're big and you're powerful, you're mighty, you're good, you're just. And we can open our eyes and, and that we can trust Jesus more. We can open our eyes and we can be, be reminded and challenged to have the faith, the boldness to live for him. That we can open our eyes and, and, and wreck shop on, on the work of the evil one in this world who's, who's working to pull the world away from God. That God will open our eyes when people hurt us. And we can see there's more going on to the story than this person who's angry or bitter. That God will open our eyes when people treat us wrong. And we can know there's a battle going on. That God will open our eyes when it seems like nothing's going right, everything's going wrong. That God will open our eyes when we seem all alone, when we're afraid, when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we're tired, when we're confused. And may we see that we are not alone. So my prayer is that God, may you open our eyes. Like we have a team. It's not, it's not hard to pick. We don't have to go by the color of their outfits. You know? It's not hard to pick, and, and, but sometimes we're going through life as if we're not super involved, you know? Hands in pockets, sideline, and we haven't really uh, committed to a side yet, or we're fair weather fans, or, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. But sh Satan is trying his hardest to pull you to hell away from the presence of God. He's trying his hardest to drag your spouse and your children and your neighbors and your parents and your friends. He's trying to pull everyone straight to hell where he's going with him. Out of the presence of God. And that's not what God wants for anybody. You know, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to have hope through his son Jesus. And so we have angels, this heavenly army, Spiritual beings who are powerful, they engage the evil one. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's word. We have each other. And so scripture calls us to stand firm. 
tells us to fight. And church, may we open our eyes. God, open our eyes. Let's pray.